Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to Particle Measuring Systems webinar titled Data Analysis Techniques for Understanding Particle Contamination in High-Purity Liquids. It's a rather long name, but I'm sure you will find it very interesting to get what is under this name, because the purpose is to discuss what is the meaning of data collected by uh, contamination monitors by particle counters in liquids. Counting particles is one side, understanding what it means is a completely different story. And I'm happy to host this webinar for you with, with our presenter, David Green. I'll introduce him in a few more seconds, uh, right before the presentation will begin. Before that, just my name is Christian Stief. I'm the Sales and Service Manager at PMS Germany, and I'll be the moderator for you today. If you have any questions, during the webinar, during the presentation, please feel free to type it in under the chat tab of uh, your control panel of the webinar. So we'll do our very best to go through all these questions at the end of the presentation in case we either cannot answer it directly or time runs out, we'll definitely get back to you by email and to all the others uh, after the webinar. There is also an attachment in the control panel that can be downloaded at, at your convenience uh, whenever you're ready to do so. Now, here the show starts with the presenter introduction. I'm happy that we could win David Green, our application engineer at Particle Measuring Systems for quite some years for particle metrology specifically in liquid systems. David has a degree in physics from the University College in London, and he is working for us here at PMS since 2013. So he does have a whole lot of experience in all these type of um, applications and techniques. Now, I'm all set. David, it's your stage now. Let the presentation begin. Okay, thank you, Christian. So um, in the webinar today, we're going to cover these topics. So I want to start off by covering basic particle counting terminology. So this is a refresher probably for most of us, but um, some customers, this may be very useful. And then I will move on to how to select an appropriate sample technique based on the cleanliness of the system being monitored. Then we'll look at particle counts plotted against time. So this is a very basic analytical technique or time plots in other words, which I'm sure we're all very familiar with. And then I'll move on to particle size distribution analysis, which is something I use a lot. I find it's very useful to get a, an idea of whether a particular measurement looks normal or it has some unusual influence. Then we'll move on to some more advanced topics, such as the application of Poisson statistics and how this can be used to um, quantify the occurrence of non-random systematic particle contamination. And then finally, on to fast Fourier transform analysis, which can help to identify cyclical particle contamination events. So the particle counting terminology, these are terms that we often use when talking about particle counting in liquids. Um, sample interval, this is just the sample, the time duration per measurement or the averaging period, and this is typically reported in minutes. The sensitivity, and when we talk about sensitivity, we always mean the smallest um, detectable particle size for a certain particle counter. So for UDI 20, this would be 20 nanometers. Optical coincidence, this is something that happens to optical particle counters when the particle counts are too high for the particle counter to measure accurately. And 
what, what happens is the particles are too close together in the medium. They pass through the laser beam at approximately the same time, and the photodetector is unable to differentiate every individual particle. So it tends to count clusters of smaller particles together as a smaller number of larger particles. Raw and normalized particle counts. The raw particle count, this is simply the number of particles counted during the sampling tool. It has no unit of measurement, it's just a, a whole number. The normalized particle count, this is the number of particles counted normalized per unit volume. So this is often, most often presented as particles per milliliter, but also sometimes as particles per liter, um, particularly with UPW systems. Uh, differential and cumulative particle counts. The differential particle count is the number of particles falling within the upper and lower boundary of each size channel. So for example, the first channel of UDI 20, this would be the number of particles falling within 20 to 50 nanometers. The cumulative particle count is the total number of particles larger than the lowest size boundary of the channel. So again, for UDI 20, the first channel, this would be the total number of particles greater than 20 nanometers. So it also includes particles in the larger size channels. And, and the two charts below just show, um, it's the same data set presented as cumulative and differential particle counts. So the total number of particles counted will be the same for each set, but the distribution of the particle counts between different channels looks, it's very different. So there's no right or wrong way to present the data. Both cumulative and differential particle counts can be useful sometimes. It's just important to know the difference between them and to know which one is being used when you're looking at data from a customer. So how to select an appropriate sampling interval. Um, this, this slide mostly applies to uh, customers sampling UPW with very few particles. Most chemical systems generally have a lot of particles in them, so it's not such a problem. But um, in an, the ideal sample interval is the minimum time required to achieve a statistically significant measurement. And if the sample interval is too small, the number of particles counted per interval will be small. So you will get a greater sample to sample variability. And in some cases, this can trigger unwanted high count alarms. And it's not really a problem. It's just the high variability of the data is causing the alarms to get triggered. So if we assume that particle counts occur randomly, um, then they occur according to a Poisson frequency distribution. And I, I speak a little bit more about this, or a lot more about this on one of the later slides. But for now, we just need to know that the standard deviation of a Poisson frequency distribution is by definition equal to the square root of the mean. So if, if we're aiming for a relative standard deviation of less than 20%, it means the raw particle count per sampling interval should be ideally greater than 25. And in the chart on the uh, right-hand side, I plotted how the relative standard deviation changes as a function of the particle count per sample interval. And you can see for the, as you go from zero to five and even to 10, the relative standard deviation drops very quickly. And then once we get to 20 or 25, we're, we're close to 20%. So typically we recommend customers set the sample interval so that it's capturing at least 20 particles per sample interval because that brings the right to standard de deviation close to 20%. And for high-end UPW systems, they, they may need very long sample intervals in excess of 20 minutes to achieve this. Um, another way to improve the count statistics is actually to monitor at smaller sizes. So if you move from a UDI 50 to a UDI 20, you're gonna be detecting more particles because of the high sensitivity. So that will allow you to set a shorter sample interval, but still have a statistically significant measurement.
time plots, which I'm sure you're familiar with, these are just charts showing the particle counts plotted against time. And these are obviously useful to identify long-term trends as well as to detect sudden contamination events. And they can be used to set alarm limits if required. And often changes in particle contamination can be correlated to specific changes in the system being measured. The uh, chart on the left, this shows um, the effect of recirculation on the particle levels in sulfuric acid over a period of a couple of days. And it's broken up into two parts. On the left, you show it's, it's showing the particle counts during the initial period at the beginning of the measurement. And then after two days, it's shown on the right-hand side. And you can see the particle counts have dropped quite considerably over this time, which you would expect due to particles being recirculated through the filtration. And I plotted on the right-hand side the percentage reduction after the two-day period. And you can see that in the 29-meter channel, the percentage reduction is actually much less uh, relatively compared to the larger channels. And this is indicative of poor filtration performance at 20 nanometers. And we know that sulfuric acid is a very viscous liquid, so it's very difficult to filter this at smaller sizes. These um, examples show on the left, um, particle levels in, ammonium in, in an ammonium hydroxide chemical distribution system. And at the beginning of the measurement, we see the sample line cleanup period. Um, so this is here, and this is entirely normal after connecting a new sample line to a liquid system. It can take quite a long time to clean up. And actually, I think the cleanup carries on throughout the whole of this measurement. It's just the beginning where the cleanup is most sharp. And then after a period of time, we start seeing these periodic spikes in the data that are caused by tool activity within the system. And if we know the timing of these spikes from the time plot, we know at what time each one occurred, we can use that to investigate the source and take countermeasures to reduce the contamination from this uh, source. On the right, we have uh, a graph or a time plot showing particle counts downstream from a PFA valve installed in a UPW system. And actually, this is our UPW system in Dresden, and I installed the valve to test how many particles were being generated each time it was actuated. And the first actuation, this is the peak here, we, we had a really large uh, spike in particles, which is presumably caused by residual particles being flushed out of the valve. And then it goes down, back down to the very low baseline level, and then the subsequent actuations were much lower and very similar. So the, the subsequent actuation is not getting smaller in size. So this tells me that the valve is already clean and it's just generating fresh particles each time it actuates. Particle size distributions. Um, I, I use these all the time and um, whenever a part, uh, customer sends me data and they're questioning the particle count or they're wondering what's going on with their system, I, I will plot the particle size distribution. And this is just the average cumulative particle count plotted against particle size. And we find that Particle size distributions or PSDs in liquids normally have a consistent distribution. And the reference at the bottom of the slide is a paper that we published almost well, more than 20 years ago that um, explains this and presents some test results in, in a lot of detail. But generally, we, we find that PSDs in liquids kind of be approximate, approximated by a power law, a law of the form ND is equal to C multiplied by D to the power of P, where D is the particle diameter. ND is the particle count larger than the diameter D, and C and P are empir empirically derived constants. So if we create a scatter plot of the cumulative particle counts um, 
against time and then fit it with a trend line of the form of a power curve, which is what's shown here. Um, on the left, this is just the particle counts as you would get it from the particle counter. And then I've plotted um, it here as a scatter chart and with log logarithmic axis. And we, if when we fit the trend line to it, we get um, these values here. So of most interest to us is the exponent p and we find that this is normally close to minus three for uh, an ambient particle size distribution in, in liquids and in this case the date the example here it's p is equal to minus 2.983 so that's pretty close to minus three and also the um the scatter plot usually resembles a straight line um, where it's plotted on logarithmic axes with the R squared value, which is the correlation coefficient close to one. And it's important to remember that PSDs are just a rule of thumb. Um, there's no law of nature that says the particle size distribution has to be this shape, but it can be very useful to get a quick idea of whether a measurement is good or valid and to, to flag irregular particle data that needs further investigation. So if P deviates a long way from minus three, then P is the exponent or the slope, it can indicate irregularities in the data, for example, effects due to filtration, optical coincidence, which I explained earlier, where particle counts in the smaller channels tend to be undercounted and larger channels tend to be overcounted. The presence of gas bubbles that tend to influence the larger channels more than the smaller channels. And simply there may be active particle generation due to process activities such as etching and ultrasonic cleaning that can have unpredictable effects on the particle size distribution. The example here shows <clears throat> the effect of filtration on the um, particle that was in H2SO4 and in this case the slope of the, the trend line the exponent is equal to minus 4.2 so this is quite a long way from our ideal value of 3. And this indicates, again, most likely poor filtration efficiency for particles less than 50 nanometers. Uh, on the left, uh, this is showing the effect of op optical coincidence in TMR, TMAH. Um, and yeah, so this is where the small channels are being undercounted, the large channels being overcounted because the particles are too close together in the medium. And in this case, this the slope was much less steep than normal, so p is equal to minus um, 0 0.64. Um, and on the right-hand side, it shows the effect of aeration on uh, particle levels in UPW. And in, in this case, we were deliberately injecting uh, dissolved gas into the UPW in order to trickle bubble formation to test a bubble suppression device that we were building. And the blue line shows the original measurement before aeration, so this is the baseline level in our UPW, and we have an exponent of minus 2.13, or 2.12, which is pretty, I mean, it's not minus 3, but it's close enough that I, I consider this okay. Um, whereas with aeration, the pink line, this value of the exponent is only minus 1.21, which is um, indicative of increased particle counts in the larger channels due to bubble formation. Now we'll move on to the more advanced topics in the webinar, the Poisson statistics. So the Poisson distribution, this is a probability distribution of the number of events occurring within a, diff within a given time period. And it works based on a series of assumptions. The first is that events occur entirely at random. 
future events occur independently of past events. So if an event occurs during one time period, it has no influence on whether an event will occur in the next time period. The average rate of events occurring lambda is constant, and the probability of an event occurring increases in proportion to the amount of time that has passed. An example of a real-world Poisson distribution might be the number of goals scored during the World Cup. And we know that the mean number of goals scored per game, which we'll call lambda, is equal to 2.5. But you can't have 2.5 goals in a game. Um, it has to be a whole number. And actually, the most probable number of goals is two, uh, followed by three, and then by one goal per game. And the probability of k number of goals being scored per game should occur according to the Poisson frequency distribution. And this is the formula here. And if we plot this for lambda equal to 2.5, we get a frequency distribution like the one shown on the left here. And it is quite a, an asymmetric distribution because you cannot have less than zero goals being scored per game. It's, it's impossible. But in principle, you can have 10, 20, or 100 goals being scored per game, but just at an incredibly low probability. And actually, it never reaches zero on the right-hand side. Um, so for a true Poisson distribution, the standard deviation, which we'll call sigma, is simply the square root of the mean. Um, so this is by definition. So if we have um, a mean lambda of 2.5, this gives us um, a standard deviation of 1.58. So how do we apply this to particle counts? Um, particle counts in a well-controlled system, and the important point here is that it's well-controlled should occur according to a Poisson frequency distribution. So particles should be detected at random intervals. Future particle count should not be influenced by previous particle counts. The average particle count rate should be constant and not be going up and down. And the probability of a particle being counted increases in proportion to the sample interval. Now deviations from Poisson occur if there are non-random systematic contamination sources present. So for example, this could be valves actuating, pumps and tools going online and offline, demand fluctuations which will cause um, pressure changes, flow rate changes, and this can also cause filters to start flexing and start releasing accumulated material from inside the filter. And the time plot at the bottom right hand side actually shows this. This is a, a measurement we made at one of our customers in Dresden um, in sulfuric acid. And they had an array of pumps that rotated every hour. So one pump would go online, another pump would go offline. And there would be a brief period of, period of time where more than one pump was active. And so that was causing the pressure to surge. Um, particles would be shed from surfaces. Particles would be released from filters during the surge. And we, we can see this clearly in the particle measurement with this spike that occurs every one hour. So the, the deviation from Poisson can be quantified by calculating the percentage difference between the Poisson calculated um, standard deviation, the square root of the mean, and the actual measured standard deviation of the data sigma. And this DFP, we'll call it, the deviation from Poisson is equal to sigma the real standard deviation divided by the Poisson calculated standard deviation minus one then multiplied by 100 to get a percentage. But here's an example of some data from a, a fairly clean UPW system. Um, the mean particle count lambda is equal to 1.34. So the Poisson standard deviation, the square root of lambda is equal to 1.16. The actual standard deviation from the data is equal to 1.25. So that gives us a deviation from Poisson of 8%, which is pretty low. 
And the two, well, the frequency distribution of the measured data is shown here as the blue line, and that's the red line shows the theoretical Poisson frequency distribution, and they, they match very well. So this tells us that um, the system is pretty well controlled at 20 nanometers and stable, and there are minimal sources of non-random systematic contamination. Here we have another UPW system that is quite a lot less clean. The average particle count is 353. So the Poisson standard deviation, the square root of the mean is equal to 18.8. The actual measured standard deviation is 40.8. So we have a DFP of 117.4%, which is much higher than the previous example. And you can see the two frequency distributions, the actual frequency distribution, the blue line and the theoretical frequency distribution, the red line, don't match very well at all. And, and this higher DFP indicates the system is not very well controlled at 20 nanometers. And it turns out the system did not have filtration below 50 nanometers. So particles below 50 nanometers are completely uncontrolled and, and it makes sense. Um, one more example, this time it's a chemical system with 31% um, hydrogen peroxide. And yeah, clearly this is much dirtier. The um, average particle count is equal to 100 and, well, 1,165. The square root of this, the Poisson standard deviation is equal to 34.1, but the measured standard deviation from the data is equal to 768.9. So that's a huge relative standard deviation when the mean is only 1,165. Um, the DFP, if we calculate that, we get 2,153%, which is really high. And I mean, it's pretty obvious from the time plot anyway, this is not very well controlled because you can see the, the spikes happening, but um, this allows us to quantify it. And this system is clearly not very well controlled at all at 20 nanometers, and it probably has many sources of systematic contamination. So this could be controlled a lot better than it is. Next on to fast Fourier transform analysis, the last topic, and um, this is useful if the the DFP is found to be pretty high for a data set. And normally when we look at particle data, we're looking at it in the time domain. So this is amplitude plot against time or time plots in other words. Um, the fast Fourier transform analysis allows us to translate this time domain particle data into the frequency domain. So we can plot the frequency spectrum of the data showing the amplitude of contamination events as a function at which these events are happening. And I've included a very basic example here just to illustrate what this means. Um, on the left, this is a time plot showing a triangular wave with a period of six minutes. So it just goes up and down and repeats every six minutes. If we do FFT analysis on this, and you can do this in Excel using the data analysis plugin, you get a frequency spectrum that looks like this on the right-hand side. And it's just a flat line basically with a peak at 10, frequency of 10 times per hour, and 10 times per hour correlates with every six minutes. So, I mean, this is obviously not particle data, but hopefully this helps to illustrate what FFT analysis is doing and what we mean by frequency spectrum. And this can be used to identify cyclical systematic particle determination events that occur with consistent time periods. And this is often um, changes with demand, process tool activity, uh, tanks being resupplied and things like this. Here is an example of um, some data uh, some particle data in sulfuric acid. The time plot is on the left-hand side, and it's, it's pretty noisy, but I think I, I can see some evidence of um, cyclical contamination happening during the first 500 or 1,000 minutes. 
but after that it, it, it becomes lost in the noise so you can't really identify any um, patterns but if we apply FFT analysis to this we get a frequency spectrum like the one shown on the right hand side and here we have a very clear peak showing um, an event that happens regularly um, seven times per day so that correlates to every 200 minutes so if you know exactly how often the particle contamination event is happening that allows you to um, identify where the contamination is coming from and take measures to reduce the contamination and reduce the contamination in, in the whole system. So in, in summary, uh, continuous real-time particle monitoring with sensitivity down to 20 nanometers allows us to react quickly to potentially damaging particle excursions at the smallest detectable particle size. Particle data plotted against time or time plots allows us to monitor long-term trends and also to detect sudden changes and we can use this to quantify the effectiveness of system improvements such as filtration upgrades and to characterize and eliminate particle contamination sources. Particle size distributions or PSD can give us confidence in a, in a measurement to tell us whether we think it's good or if there, if there is something irregular happening that is causing the PSD to differ from the usual shape. So if the PSD deviates from the typical PSD by a lot, it may indicate something like active particle generation, optical coincidence, filtration effects, or bubble formation. Poisson statistics are useful to quantify the influence of non-random systematic particle contamination sources. And if we calculate the DFP, uh, deviation from Poisson, and find that it is, it is high, then it is a good indication that the system is not being optimally controlled. And there may be systematic particle contamination from valve fluctuations, um, valve actuations, pump process tool activity, demand fluctuations. And when the DFP is high, uh, FFT analysis can be useful to identify cyclical particle contamination events that may be correlated to regular activities in the system and eliminated. And finally, our company's slogan at the bottom, without measurement, there is control, but when you have the measurement, you still need to have the understanding to um, interpret the measurement and to decide how to act on it. So thank you for your attention. That's all from me. Thank you very much uh, for that more than interesting insight in how to not only collect the data, but also understand the data of liquid particle counters. So whenever you're ready, let's go into the questions. And here comes the first one. What would we as a company and you as the expert recommend uh, to as an sample interval when you upgrade from a UDI 50 to a UDI 20, so to a much more sensitive instrument? Yeah, so most of the time this would be um, high-end customers. So probably they're measuring zeros a lot of the time with the UDI 50. Um, so they're probably still gonna have very low particle counts at 20 nanometers. Um, I, I would start with, for example, 10 minutes for the sample interval and to see how the data looks. Or alternatively, I would just set the sample interval initially at one minute and take a measurement for an hour or maybe more time and then work out what the average count is per minute. And so if you get, for, for example, one count per minute on average, then you know you need to sample for 20 minutes to get a statistically significant measurement. Okay, thank you. So we have more questions and now it's getting a little bit less complicated. So we are moving. So we, we started with myself, not so complicated with the introduction. Then you gave us the insight and now we're going back to um, easier levels. And that would say, 
what kind of software would we have available that helps and supports that data analysis as just described by your in, during your presentation okay um well most of the analysis that uh, i presented in the webinar this is um done with microsoft excel but you can also do it with uh, for example LibreOffice, which is a free version um all of our measurement software, so CertiNet sample site, it allows you to export data as CSV files, which can easily be imported into the spreadsheet software. Um, but in addition, for, for the uh, FFT analysis, I, I mentioned already, I, I needed to install a, an, a, an extra add-in called the data analysis. I think they called it a plugin, and that has uh, that gives you the ability to do FFT analysis, and it's to be honest, it's not very intuitive to use, but if you go to YouTube or to Google and 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 type FFT analysis Excel, you will find some very clear tutorials on how to do this. And maybe they take maybe five minutes. Okay, okay. So that means at the final end, once it's becoming really uh, obvious, and you are in the need of David and also myself, will be more than happy to help you installing the um, additional add-ins needed to use the, the available software in the very same way as David is doing it. I have one last question for you today, and that goes back to the particle size distribution. I said, what would be the acceptable range of the slope? for a good particle size distribution? Yeah, well, th th there are really no hard limits for this. Um, but in, in general, if I plot the PSD and I get an exponent between minus two and minus four, then I would just think this is probably a good measurement. Um, if it's getting towards minus one or minus five, I, I would start to question the measurement somewhat. Um, if it's close to minus one, it may be that uh, there is optical saturation, optical coincidence happening, or maybe bubble contamination. And if it's getting towards minus five, it may be something like mechanical noise, which is causing the detector to vibrate and generate electrical noise, which tends to affect the smaller channels first. Um, if it's below minus one or above minus five, then I would be highly dubious of this measurement. Um, but it is the case that sometimes things can be happening in the system um, Maybe there's an effect due to filtration, if, especially if the filtration size is in the middle of the particle size distribution, that can cause it to be a strange shape. Or there may be particles of a certain size being generated somewhere in the system that can have a very unpredictable um, influence. Okay. Thank you, David. So this is at least the end of the webinar, the presentation, and the question and answer for today. So let me thank David, for this more than interesting presentation and giving us a completely new view on what we should do and how we should interpret the data of uh, particle counters. A big thank you, of course, also for all the people in the background who made this webinar um, possible. Thank you so much. And last but not least, the biggest thank you to all of you for participating. We cannot wait to get more questions, more inquiries, more contacts from your side based on that webinar. Thank you.